The first reading this morning is Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. Jesus denounces the scribes. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. The widow's offering. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. Imitating Christ's humility. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Living God, speak your word to our hearts, that it may become flesh in our lives, to the glory of your name. Amen. At first sight, our reading this morning from Mark's Gospel is fairly straightforward. Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's visiting the temple, he notices people putting money into the temple treasury, which consisted of 13 large boxes. And as Jesus watches, he sees this poor widow, one of the most vulnerable people in society, putting in her two small coins, which amounted to almost nothing. Certainly nothing in comparison to the big sums that were being put in by rich people. Jesus, however, knew that what she had given was far more than the bigger offerings because it was all she had. And so he commended her. And the story lends itself, I suppose, to a fairly simple moral. Generosity is a blessed virtue, even when we don't have much. And the story might be used as a subtle prompt to church members to give generously to their church, a reminder which, as our treasurers know well, is sometimes necessary. There is, however, rather more to this story than this, and to grasp it, we need to backtrack just a little. You see, the setting of this incident in its wider context in March Gospel locates it in a series of controversies between Jesus and the religious establishment of his day who are trying to catch him out. 
Here Jesus comes toe to toe with the religious authorities of his time and what he saw as their corrupt and distorted practices. And so Jesus warns in verse 38 to beware of the scribes with their ostentatious display of long robes and top tier seats. But then comes the stinging rebuke. They devour widows' houses. Jesus here is condemning the entire rotten religious system centered on the temple, which exhorts money out of those least able to afford it, like this widow, and which bleeds them dry. And what is worse, that in these latter chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus is making plain that the Jerusalem temple, this mighty edifice to which this widow is contributing, has no future. It is earmarked for destruction. In Jesus' mind, the Jewish people of his day do not know the things that work for peace, but are set on a course that will in a few years lead ultimately to rebellion against Rome and a brutal crushing defeat. Jerusalem and its glorious temple will be laid waste as happened in AD 70. And Jesus has not long since prefigured all this by invading the temple and driving out the money chambers, changers, symbolizing the coming destruction. And suddenly we view this woman's actions in giving all that she had in a different light. She was giving all that she had, but for what purpose? She was making a sacrifice, but for what? The passage tells us that this widow put in everything she had and the original Greek in which this passage was written says literally that she put in all the living of her. Or in other words, she gave her whole life. But what was she giving her whole life for? The upkeep of a building with a demolition order attached to it. What was the point? Of that was it worth it well this of course is where this passage begins to bite not least on this occasion of Remembrance Sunday when we recall those who made the supreme sacrifice in war who gave their whole lives and at the risk of being controversial we surely have to ask whenever a war is fought was it worth it? Was it worth the cost in bloodshed? Or was it like this widow's sacrifice, costly self-giving for a lost cause? And we might prefer to blank that question, but we can't. And it's certainly our responsibility as Christians who serve the Prince of Peace. Well, take the First World War, which looms very large on Remembrance Sunday. 
It's been estimated that in that conflict, over 16 million people died. Around 10 million military personnel and just under 7 million civilians. And of course, there were a huge other number of wounded and maimed people who were scarred for life. The numbers are mind-boggling. What cause could conceivably justify such suffering and loss of life? And we hear about the horrors of trench warfare and futile combat with thousands of lives lost for just a few meters of mud gained. And of course those soldiers who survived were promised a return to a land fit for heroes. When in fact they returned to the economic turmoil of the 20s and 30s high unemployment and the Great Depression. And of course the First World War was dubbed the war to end all wars, but the deeply resented Treaty of Versailles helped to make that an impossible dream. The 20th century did not exactly fulfill that hope, the war to end all wars, that most bloody of centuries. And so we ask, was it worth it? Most people would agree that it is easier to answer that question affirmatively with regard to the Second World War, where arguably a necessary price was paid despite the appalling death toll. But what of more recent wars? What about Vietnam? where an estimated 58,000 Americans died, with the overall number on all sides likely exceeding a million. Was it worth it? The United States Secretary of Defense at the height of the war, a fierce advocate of the war, Robert McNamara, later confessed to deep regret and remorse for the mistakes made by the US. We were wrong, terribly wrong, he confessed, and we owe it to future generations to explain why. And what of Northern Ireland? Can those who died for the cause rest in peace? Was it worth it? Or Iraq? Can the death toll be justified by the emergence of a more peaceful and stable world order? Or Afghanistan, seeing how that has turned out. And of course, there are other conflicts like Ukraine, where there would be a strong case for concluding with a heavy heart, yes, it was worth it. It was justified. There was no choice. We return to this widow and her sacrificial offering, her costly giving to a doomed temple. And we might see in her a symbol of futility, of pity, of lives laid down for lost causes, sacrifices that were made that were just not worth it. Yet Jesus 
despite his perspective on the temple, does not seem to have seen it that way. He could have told her to keep her coins, to save them for a better purpose, but he didn't. He commended her. And soon after this, another woman will come to Jesus and break open a jar of very costly ointment and anoint Jesus. And that too could be seen as a pointless gesture, a complete waste. But no, Jesus commends her. And maybe that's because these acts were done in good faith, from good motives out of love, irrespective of the effects of what they achieved. And here I want to put this widow's self-sacrifice into a much, much wider context. I want to suggest that acts of self-giving done in good faith, acts that cost us are central to our humanity, essential to our becoming fully human beings. Indeed, I would suggest to you that self-giving lies at the very heart of creation, the very constitution of the universe. Think of God's act of creation in the beginning. Try, if you can, to draw back the curtain of time and imagine the life of God in eternity, an eternal fellowship of love, an eternal communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has no need to create, but is perfect and complete in himself. Yet out of an abundance of love, God calls creation into being. But that is an act of self-giving, an act of self-sacrifice. In creating the cosmos, God creates space for us, but in so doing limits and constrains himself. And that means that self-sacrifice runs through the very DNA of creation. And the book of Revelation peers into the mysterious depths of the universe and sees there a lamb slain from the very foundation of the world. And so we go on. In the fullness of time, God emptied himself in Christ, laying aside his glory and being born in human likeness, becoming a servant, an act of self-sacrifice, as we read in our second reading. And so creation connects to Calvary as the self-giving love that spilled over at the beginning now spills over in the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. Self-sacrifice then lies in the very heart of God. And it lies therefore at the heart of what it means to be made in the image of God. And this is something that we need to learn in an age where there is a great emphasis on self-fulfillment, 
on discovering our true selves, on maximizing our potential, becoming all that we can be. But we aren't very sure how we go about that. And the word is that the key to it all lies in asserting ourselves, trying to grab more, to produce more, to consume more, to be more, but it doesn't work. This is not humanizing us. What we who strive to bear the image of God must learn is that self-fulfillment, paradoxically, cannot come without self-giving and self-sacrifice. In order to gain our life, we have to be ready to lose it. In order to live, we must be willing to die. In surrendering, our, surrendering ourselves to loss, there is a mysterious, gratuitous gain. That, of course, is what we see enacted and symbolized in the Christian rite of baptism, which tells us that laying ourselves down in death leads to rising to new life. Well, we've explored the big picture. Creation, the universe, Christ, the cross. And so we return to the widow in the temple with her little costly offering. The cause to which she gave may already have been lost, but she nevertheless comes to us graced with the image of God. In a competitive and often ruthless world, she gives us a glimpse into the secret of our humanity and she speaks to us too of those who have sacrificed themselves in wars sometimes apparently in a futile lost cause this is not to try and put a gloss on shameful waste of life and the sheer pity and tragedy of war but it is to recognize that we are never more fully human than, we give, than when we give ourselves in love and in good faith, whatever the outcome may be. And in the spirit of this widow, therefore, let us never underestimate the significance of little acts of kindness. Small acts of love that may cost us, but which season life, which humanize us, and which make the world a more gracious and generous place to live. Opportunities for such sacrificial self-giving abound. They're all around us. Let us embrace them, and in that way, let us honor the fallen. Let us pray. Firstly, let us remember the Bevis family at this time as they come to terms with their tragic and sudden loss. We pray that they might be upheld by an everlasting love 
and know the comfort of the one who has both prophesied and proclaimed a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Lord, we seem to live our lives in the center of a cruel and mischievous world, dominated by violence, bloodshed, and injustice of every kind. A world of stark inequality, where the sharp divisions of rich and poor seem to be permanently etched into our economic patterns. We remember again the desperate plight of those struggling in the Ukraine. For others, bearing the physical and mental scars of exploitation and torture. For refugees fleeing from persecution, risking life and limb for a safer, more secure future. Many enduring an unimaginable despair. Lord, in the midst of darkness, confusion and longing, May the light of your glory shine as a beacon of hope to a hurting world. And God of peace, who art both our refuge and strength, hasten that day when wars shall cease and poverty and pain shall be no more. Lord of compassion and healing, hear our prayer. Nearer to home, we think of those whose anticipation of a new life and a new home seems to have been shattered by the crippling rise in mortgage rates. We pray for others desperately coping with the rising cost of living, a looming recession, and other financial burdens which are difficult to bear. We think of those newly coping with the pain of redundancy and for the long-term unemployed. We remember the homeless, especially those anticipating a bleak winter on our city streets. We pray for those who are compelled to rely on food banks and other charitable aid. Lord, thou who art the bread of life, grant sustenance to all who, through no fault of their own, are deprived of the plentiful fruits of creation. Loving God, we have a charge to show Christian care. Help us to respond practically to these needs. We remember this week too the UN climate summit taking place in Egypt amid stark warnings of an impending global warming crisis. We think of the devastation caused by the Pakistani floods and we learn just today of around 20 million people facing food insecurity in East Africa alone because of drought. We think of those too in the wider Christian community who have become fatigued in Christian service. For those who have become disheartened and for others battling with doubt when the flame of faith burns low. Finally, we recognize that we are pilgrims often on an unknown journey of faith. A pilgrim people 
members of a pilgrim church, often with few signposts to direct or guide us. Therefore, let us strive with God's grace to echo those immortal words of John Bunyan, to labor night and day to be a pilgrim. Lord of immeasurable love, be pleased to hear these our prayers. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and evermore. Amen.